Well, thank you, Chris and Anna, for that reading. As we come to God's Word, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for your Word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, we pray that as we read and as we consider this great passage of Old Testament Scripture, you will speak to us. Lord, please use my words uh, to speak to our hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit will be with us as we speak and as we listen. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, as you've already seen, Daniel chapter 3 is some chapter, isn't it? I think it would make an incredible motion picture all by itself. There'd be quite a trailer for this film. I wish I had that really deep voice that the trailer man has. He would say something like, Daniel 3, it contains... Action, intrigue, suspense, anger, power struggles, statues, kings, musicians, fire, and miracles. The Jews have been besieged by the Babylonians and are living under the reign of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, where Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, entered the king's service. Last week we heard how Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. A dream of a great statue that was destroyed by a rock. And God revealed the dream to Daniel, who explained to Nebuchadnezzar that God's kingdom would crush all others and endure forever. And as we come to chapter 3 today, we are left with the words of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 2 ringing in our ears after Daniel had explained the dream. Nebuchadnezzar said, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Nebuchadnezzar has seen something of the majesty of God and appeared to respond to it. He promoted Daniel to rule over the entire province of Babylon and appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as chief ministers. However, within just five words of chapter 3, it is clear that Nebuchadnezzar has not truly acknowledged God. And we're going to see firstly that the folly of the king is exposed. Despite his apparent power, the folly of the king is exposed. If you have Daniel 3 open, please look at the first few verses. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Now, statues have been much in the news in recent weeks, haven't they? With various different statues around the world coming under attack due to the background story of the person they represented. We're not actually specifically told what this is a statue of, other than it's of gold. Therefore, it's clearly expensive and precious. And it measured 60 cubits high by 6 cubits wide, which was then set up for all to see. Now, if you're not too up on your cubits, the statue is around 90 foot tall. I'm told that is the height of roughly five average giraffes 
stood one on top of the other. Something I've never seen. Or standing here in the King Center, maybe actually three times the height of this King Center Hall. 90 feet high, but only nine foot wide. And this may actually have been a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Or simply an obelisk. Maybe a bit like this picture. But the clear aim of the statue was for it to be seen, to be admired from quite a distance. And not only does Nebuchadnezzar set up this image, he then sets about organizing this lavish opening ceremony to dedicate it in front of the whole nation. We have what seems and sounds quite a humorous, repetitive list of those who are invited to attend. Have a look at verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials. Now, this is basically a roll call of all the bigwigs, all the important folk, gathered together to dedicate this image. But they're not just there to see the image. Verse 4 says, Nations and people of every language... This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This repetition and detail highlights the power that Nebuchadnezzar is desiring. The writer here uses satire to emphasize this. This is, in one way, a quite ridiculous situation. As soon as the music starts, all the great people of the empire are to fall flat on their face to worship this golden image. It's described as them basically tripping over one another to express their loyalty to the image and to the king. And there is Nebuchadnezzar standing over proceedings, a bit like a conductor of an orchestra. So yes, ridiculous maybe, but a picture of solidarity with all taking part, showing unity and allegiance to the leader. You remember in the last chapter, Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of power, here he is able to see power in action. However, it seems to be power, but in reality, it's complete folly. Ever since Genesis and the start of the world, mankind has sought recognition, and they've had that inner desire to be remembered and recognized. Those who built the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, they wanted to leave their mark, to be known. And our hearts often reflect this, don't they? There's a desire inside of us for others to think well of us. It feels good to have a degree of power where others acknowledge us and give us attention. That can be with our friends. We desperately pursue acceptance from them. And this can lead us to mix only with those that really flatter us. 
Or maybe it's at work where we seek out the approval of our colleagues above all else. It seems so satisfying, and yet it's really so empty. Nebuchadnezzar was intent on securing uniformity and loyal subjects. Maybe akin to some of the stories we hear of Caesar's godlike status and power in Rome, or Hitler's rule of fear in Nazi Germany, with so many blindly accepting and following, and in doing so, stroking the human ego. And there were going to be dire consequences for anyone not adhering to the instructions of the power-hungry king. Verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The king, seemingly mighty in power, has all bowing down and worshipping the image that he has set up. And he is able to establish deathly consequences for any that do not comply. For the Jews now living under the Babylonian rule, they had a choice. The choice was to give in to the demands of the human king and therefore go against the first two commandments of their God. Worship no God but me. Do not worship idols. Or to disobey the king, stay loyal to God and face death. However, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar's attempt at conformity and a unity of response are not completely successful. Please glance at verses 8 to 12. There are some people prepared to suck up to the king and essentially grass up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for not conforming. They come to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, king! We worship you. Um, You've issued a decree. We're all following it, by the way, King. But there are some Jews, some Jews, Jews that you've put in authority, and they pay no attention. In fact, verse 12 says, They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, um, these foreigners, you know, the ones that have come into our land, the ones that have taken our jobs, they're not obeying you, O king. And do you remember what you said? Uh, You said that you would throw anyone that doesn't obey into the fire. The jealous, resentful astrologers report Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to King Nebuchadnezzar, knowing what the results will be. King Nebuchadnezzar seems to have what he wants. His kingdom is bowing to him. And his image, serving his gods, and his officials have sniffed out those not following his orders. He seems to have the power. And yet, his position is clearly foolish. Because it's based upon human recognition and authority. Ignoring the God that previously he seemed to recognize. There's something about Nebuchadnezzar in this story that 
We just want to shake him and say, Nebuchadnezzar, can't you see? Don't you remember what you'd seen before? Psalm 2 comes to my mind. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together and against his anointed. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. But to show his power and to seek to further stamp his authority on the nation, Nebuchadnezzar, incandescent with rage at the thought of people not bowing to his image, summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gives them a very straightforward ultimatum. And it's through this ultimatum that secondly we see the faith of the friends. The faith of the friends. It was on October the 16th, 1555, that Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake in Oxford under the reign of Mary I for refusing to denounce their Christian beliefs. Despite being given the opportunity to backtrack and to recant their faith and to save their lives. Latimer is reported to have said, just as he was about to be burned at the stake, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle as shall never be put out. In August 2020, men and women across many parts of the globe are facing certain death from authorities unless they recant their Christian beliefs and bow to the demands of the ruling powers. Story after story can be read of persecution to death for Christians today, simply because of their faith, with many being sniffed out and reported to the authorities. These people know the reality of the situation that faced these three men as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a very straightforward situation. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar believes that he holds all the aces. The power is all his. He believes he has the keys to life and death. Put simply, he says to these men, renounce your faith, bow down to my image, or die. 
It would have been very straightforward for the friends to simply agree to this request, wouldn't it? To give in to Nebuchadnezzar. They may have been able to do that publicly without really wanting in their hearts to conform. Their lives would have been spared and maybe they could have gone on potentially in secret following God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are put on the spot. And what do they do? Have a look at verses 16 to 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We see and hear the most grace-filled, faithful response from the three friends, clearly showing an understanding of God and their own place on this earth. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego very graciously and clearly state that it is God that is their master, not Nebuchadnezzar. Their hope and confidence is in God, who can deliver them, even from the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. They demonstrate this incredible faith in the face of fire. They cast themselves upon their God. They don't doubt his power to rescue, but they do not presume that he will. They are prepared to take the consequences. God is their eternal master, not King Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is an incredible challenge to us, isn't it? We may not have faced death for our faith, and yet we may have faced ridicule or social exclusion or rejection. Are we like the Apostle Peter when challenged, even by the most unlikely, unthreatening person, too quick to say, no, not not me, no, 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 I, I, I don't even know him, in a bid to protect ourselves? Kids, when you're online and chatting to your mates, maybe over WhatsApp or Instagram, are you able to say to your friends, when they ask you what you're up to today, that you were at church on Sunday, or that you joined a YouTube church service? Or is it just too easy to fudge it and avoid the subject? How do we respond when an issue of morals or ethics comes up at work, or at the pub with mates, which we know that the Bible has very clear thinking on? How easy is it just to bow and conform to popular thinking? Now, our society has moved on in recent years, hasn't it? I think only a few years ago, it may have been okay for a Christian to hold a different opinion to others and simply to be boxed as, that's okay for you to believe or think that. In fact, we respect your views, but please don't impart them on us. Whereas now, the heat is definitely rising. 
Not only is it seen as wrong and bigoted to share an alternative view to the we-can-do-what-we-like philosophy, but now Christians seem to be condemned and potentially discriminated against if we don't actually publicly support the popular moral view, whether that's around sexuality, life and death issues, or other such subjects. Christian belief and thinking is under attack. I wonder how many of you have experienced comments or suspicion when you have chosen to not publicly support or promote an ideology that is clearly against our biblical principles. Workplaces, colleges, schools, they now seem to be places that seek to promote every band of inclusivity, And any hint of an individual failing to promote and support is frowned upon and even potentially viewed as prejudiced. This may be a good thing for you to discuss together in your life groups, some of the experiences you may have had and what our response should be. Persecution for Christians in the UK may not be that far away. It may not be the fires of Reformation England or Babylon, but similar choices to those facing Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to bow or face the consequences may well face us or our children in years to come. And how will we react to that? Well, let me try and say to you that if our view of God is too small, we will just give in to this world. But also, if our view of this world is too big, again, we will give in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith in their God, who they knew was the master of all, and Nebuchadnezzar held no sway over them. He could throw his meanest darts at them, including death. Yet control was not his. The threat of the fire was real. In verse 19 onwards, Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be thrown into the fire, which is to be made seven times hotter than normal. Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers tie them up and throw them into the furnace. The furnace is so hot It kills the soldiers who threw them in. In the face of fire, the friends demonstrate great faith. In a humanly hopeless situation, they turn to the God of hope. And why did they react this way? Why were they able to do that? Take these words of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see God for who he is, and they place their faith in him. So the king's folly and the friend's faith are crucial parts of this story. And yet, 
They both ultimately serve to point us to our final section, seen in the remainder of the story, that God is the faithful deliverer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that God can rescue them from Nebuchadnezzar's schemes, although he may choose not to. The story goes on in verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement because he'd suddenly seen a fourth figure in the fire. Weren't there just three? There's four. And it looked to him like a son of the gods. We're not told exactly who that fourth figure was, other than clearly this is a figure from God. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's words from verse 15? Then what God shall be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, here's the answer. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego certainly could. So in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And it was clear that not a single hair on their head had been harmed by the fires. Remember the fires that had killed the king's soldiers. They were miraculously preserved and delivered. The faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a great impact on Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This chapter begins with a foolish king ordering all people to bow to an image that he created. But it ends with this same king seeing the faith of Daniel's faithful friends and with him seeming to acknowledge their God, the God who saves and delivers. Just as Nebuchadnezzar seemed to do at the end of chapter 2. So what can we take from this final section? God, the faithful deliverer. It could be a really easy application, couldn't it? But actually a very dangerous and a false one to simply say, God will protect us. He will deliver us from tough situations if only we have enough faith in him. That is dangerous. God does not promise to remove the fire. He doesn't promise to rescue us from all the fires that we face, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego acknowledge. However, he does promise to walk alongside us in those fires. 
I know that the fires that some of you are facing at the moment are raging. And they seem much hotter than normal. They may seem too great to deal with. And maybe your inclination is to try and avoid them completely, even if it means bowing to the world's tune. But let me urge you, have a look into the fire, because there is the fourth figure, the one sent by God, the one to be right there with you, There have been so many situations in recent days within our own church here in Chessington where on a human level things have seemed tough with no clear way out. And yet time and again God has shown his faithfulness teaching us to depend upon him to rely upon him. He will not let us down. He has not let us down. He is with us. And fire is actually often used to refine our faith. It's often through the fiery trials, with Jesus walking alongside us, that we experience the protection and loving guidance of our Saviour. And we come to love him more, to trust him, to serve him faithfully. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego point us to the one sent by God to this world who was faithful to God even unto death. Jesus Christ, who resisted the lure of the evil one and the power promised to him by the devil to fulfill his father's wishes and to remain completely obedient to him, to be hung on a cross, to take the fire for us to offer deliverance and rescue but be warned the fire in this story both judges and refines Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's faith is further refined by the fire as they trust in God but the soldiers they're killed by the fires of judgment Jesus offers deliverance from that judgment. Seize it before the fire consumes you. In this story, we see the true deliverer God in total control, despite how it may have seemed. God is in control and totally faithful. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego know that God will deliver his people. It may not be from the world's fires, but ultimately, he will deliver us from the eternal fire. His rescue, his deliverance is far more significant than the slings and arrows of this world. It is an eternal rescue. So they stand firm, trusting in God. So this morning, Let's pray for strength, as demonstrated by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Strength to turn from worldly folly and to faithfully obey and follow the one who was perfectly faithful, the one who walks the daily fires with us.
who refines us as we go and promises ultimate, eternal deliverance. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were faithful to your Father, even to the point of hanging upon a cross and dying for us. Thank you for the amazing promise of Scripture that you are there with us. There is a fourth person in that fire. And Lord, we pray for all of those currently experiencing great fires times of hardship, times of difficulty, times of tension. Lord, I pray that in the midst of those fires, they will turn to you and not bow to this world. Lord, thank you that you are a faithful God who delivers us. We praise your name. Amen.